Thank you, worship team. And oftentimes we forget there's a sound booth and tech and audio people back there who uh, make it easier for us to worship and enter into God's presence. And so to you people in the booth, thank you. We appreciate all you do back there week after week. If you'd uh, open your Bibles to uh, Obadiah, there really is a book in the back of the Old Testament called Obadiah. If you find Daniel, uh, you're, you're headed there. Uh, go Daniel and you'll find Hosea, Joel, Amos, and you're going to find Obadiah. We began a series last week on the minor prophets. If you weren't here, uh, you're fortunate. You can go online and kind of get an overview of where we're headed and listen to that. Um, Obadiah, I'm going to read. It's only one chapter long, so you can feel good. We, left, we read a whole book of the Bible. And um, then we're going to talk about an incredible message that comes from Obadiah. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, stick with it as I read it and, and notice some, some interactions between God and, and the attitudes of Edom and really what's going on here. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and an envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If great gatherers come to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasure searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border. And the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There's no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. And on that day you stood aloof. And on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. And do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. And do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. And as you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. It will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire. And the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble. And they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. 
Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shephelah, though of Philistine plain, and possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are, who are in Sepharad will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau. Now, as we read through that, some of you are going, what on earth is all this about? And it's easy to get lost sometimes in the names and the geography, um, but it's significant. It kind of, if we put some of this together, you're going you're to get a message in why some of these things are said. First of all, a little bit about Obadiah. His name means servant of Yahweh. That's kind of a neat meaning, isn't it? And 12 times in the Old Testament, Obadiah is referred to, but it's probably not this Obadiah. Some scholars believe he wasn't even Jewish, but he was an Edomite proselyte used of God. We don't know that for sure. But this is the author, Obadiah. The geography of Edom, which is who he's addressing here, it lay a, a, kind of just southeast of Judah, right south of the Dead Sea, kind of just barely touched Judah. And it was probably about 30 miles wide by 100 miles long. The people of Edom were called the Edomites. They also had other names, Esau, Seir, which was kind of the equivalent to uh, the Jewish people, Zion, was Seir of the Edom. This prophecy is against the people of Edom. Now a little background, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, whereas the Israelites were descendants of Jacob, the twin brothers, of the twin brother of Esau. Thus the people were really closely related. From the very beginning, though, there was enmity between the two brothers, <clears throat> an enmity which carried over to the nations which descended from them. We're told in Genesis 25 that Jacob and Esau struggled together within the womb. And then we read in that verse that the Lord tells her, two nations are in your womb. And there was conflict, if you read the account, of the, over the taking of the birthright of Jacob from Esau. And it was at this time that Esau gained the name Edom, which means red. Red was the color of stew for which he sold his birthright. We read it in Genesis 25:30. Much of the land occupied by the Edomites, interesting enough, was made of dark red sandstone. This was also the color of Esau's hair when he was born. And so Esau, Edom, was the same. It means red. There was conflict when Jacob tricked Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. There were trouble years later as the two brothers met in Genesis 20, 32 and 33. There was conflict between the nations began at the time of the exodus from Egypt when Edom refused to let the Israelites passed through their land. This enmity continued to the day of King David when he put them under subjection to Israel. And during the reign of Jerome, Elam, Edom revolted and set up their own king. And it was during this time, about 845 B.C., that Obadiah comes on the scene. And so there's been this long history of enmity between the Edomites and Israel. And we need to understand that. We read, first of all, verse 3. I mean, what an indictment. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. The pride of Elam is unfortunately on display. And the fall of Edom was to be God's judgment on it because of its overriding sin of pride. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. How? 
How, how did their heart deceive them? Well, if you think of it, the root of pride simply is just saying, I don't need you, God. Pride doesn't sing the song we sing, I need you. These were people who said, we don't need God. We, we don't need the God of the Israelites. We're fine on our own. I can run my own life. Pride opposes God's agenda, no matter which way that may take shape. On a personal level, we imagine we can do without God in our life, and our family, and our business. On a national level, it becomes magnified. It expresses itself in characteristics similar to the boast of Edom. Now, most don't consider pride that bad. Certainly not enough for God to destroy an entire nation. Apparently, God sees it differently than we do. What was Edom proud about? The, the text really helps us understand some reasons that, that Edom had lifted its head up to God in defiance. In verse 3 through 5, Edom was proud because of her defenses, because where she was located. You who live in the clefts of the rock, you live in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who's going to bring me down? Though you build high like the eagle. You see, due to the unique geographical location, Edom seemed impregnable. Edom had become arrogant and self-assured because of its natural defenses. You see, the Edomites' dwelling places was hewn out of solid rock. It was located in rocky highlands. And it was to be unassailable as an eagle's nest. And if you were to go in the northern part of Edom, you'd find that there, uh, the ridge exceeded 4,000 feet. If you went south, it exceeded 5,700 feet. And from a human perspective, it was untouchable. Matter of fact, some experts say because of the, the way it was laid out, 12 people could defend it, uh, Edom from the whole army. And so they boasted in their great defenses. It's God's indictment of them. You set yourself up. You set your nest among the stars. And you say, who's going to bring us down? I mean, who's going to defeat us? Look at our defenses. That was their great pride. Now some here, unfortunately, this morning, you think like Edom. Maybe you think your life's untouchable. You've positioned yourself in life so you got it under control. You might not admit it, but you really do believe you've got it figured out. You really do believe you've held it all together all along. And if you don't do it, no one will. No one's going to help you. You're a self-made man. And you might say like Edom, who will bring me down? It's interesting because God answers in verse 4, I will bring you down. And so while they boasted about their defenses and being impregnable and, and, and kind of lifted up so nobody could touch them, God says, I can. I'm going to bring you down. And many boast that I did this, I did it without God's help. Those with this mindset see themselves as self-sufficient, a cause for pride. I find it interesting, uh, uh, Max Lucado has written a bunch of books that I was reading some time ago that uh, the book that has sold the least is the book says it's not about me. Interesting. Why? Because we like life to be about us. And so did Edom. Because it was all about them. On a national level... We can boast on our military might, sophisticated missile systems, technological superiority to the rest of the world. You know a country like that? We can trust in our defenses. 
and think that nobody will touch us. But it wasn't just her defenses that Edom took great pride in. It was her allies. You see it in verse 7. You see, it revealed a people who believed they were secure because of their network of allies. In other words, they knew the right people. They could call and summons at any moment, pick up the phone and say, hey, we got allies who will come alongside us. Because of that, we're unstoppable. Now, if you remember the show The Apprentice, and uh, Donald Trump was kind of the guy who'd, who'd kind of interrogate and, and kind of evaluate people and see who'd be the next apprentice. And all these people would come on the show because they, in their mind they thought, you know what, if Donald Trump chooses me, I'm going to make something of myself. If I can just associate with him, he'll take me to the top. Now, there's nothing wrong with having diplomatic and good relationships with others, but you can't look at associations as a source of pride and trust in your allies. Is it wise to have alliances? Yep. Is it wise to have an army? Absolutely. But we shouldn't trust these above God. We're to trust God. And we show it when we seek to establish righteousness and justice. You see, God exalts and God brings down. This is Obadiah's message. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust others to do what only God can do. But there's a third reason for their pride. You see it in verse 8 and 9. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, I'll destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau. Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman. Now it's interesting, he alludes to not just their wisdom, but their understanding. And then he brings in a, a, a city, a town in Edom called Taman. Now the best way to understand Tatum, or Taman, is to think in terms of, well, Harvard. In America, Harvard, or Yale, is known for wisdom. It's known for probably the, 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 most, the smartest of the smartest in our nation, right? Harvard. Well, Taman is Edom's Harvard. And that's why that's a significant statement God makes. Then your mighty men will be dismayed. Who? Oh, Harvard. Oh, Taman. And then if you kind of see that, you kind of get the gist of it. It was their exceptional wisdom that brought great pride to Edom. In their twisted thinking of the Edomites found another item, a factor in their consummate pride, that they were all wise. Jeremiah 49.7 kind of reinforces this. Where Jeremiah prophesies, he said, Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, Is there no longer any wisdom in Taman? Has good counsel been lost to the prudent? Has their wisdom decayed? So you see Jeremiah alluding to this wisdom again, how much they trusted in their academic, academia, their wisdom. The Edomites had become wise in their own eyes. They had all the answers. They had need of nothing. God had been left out of the picture. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, there's no mention of an Edomite God. And some scholars believe that the Edomites had no allegiance to a God. That there were unusual people who were so self-sufficient, so arrogant, and self-satisfied that they wouldn't even call on any name of a God. You see, they believed they had all the answers themselves. It's part of the pride. In pride, we can say, I got this all figured out. I know how to get around this world. I don't need any help solving my problems. Don't tell me I need God. 
or that create or there's a creator pride has resulted in many false teachings perhaps the most destructive pride is says hey you know what we evolved pride believes in evolution because if there's evolution then we kind of control it we can determine the value of life and we can determine the origin of life that's pretty prideful if you ask me it's the height of arrogance to take God out of the equation and that's what the Edomites had done and I think nothing lies at the heart of problems of human race as this prideful desire to take over God's place or to pretend, pretend that we can do without Him. If we studied pride all the way back, we'd find out that it's satanic in origin. Ooh, ouch. Now it's not just a, a little mistake, is it? Pride is deep-rooted. It's a great sin in God's eyes. It's great seeing our high school graduates up here and some are going to college, and, and some might be finding a place of employment here, or, um, going a lot of different places. And uh, oftentimes you'll talk to college students, and, and they have a four-year plan. they got a five-year plan, maybe, maybe even a ten-year plan mapped out. I want to say something to you graduates. Don't be surprised if God blows it all up. Now your parents are cringing right now because they've been preaching, making a plan. And uh, they're going to go home and say, I'm not sure you should listen to him. But, uh, but let me balance that by saying Proverbs says we should plan. But many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the plans of the Lord that shall be established. And so whether you're college graduates, don't think you know more than God. Don't think you're wiser than God. Yes, you might start down this road, but don't be surprised if God says, okay, hold it, we're going to go elsewhere. And that's a good thing. It's okay if God blows up your plans. Don't in pride put your head down and say, I'm going to go here because this is where I want to go. That's what Edom did. Don't, don't be like an Edomite. Learn from them. Learn from Obadiah. Edom is indicted here for their mistreatment. You see, the proof of their pride is in the way it treated Judah, which is supposed to be their brother. The southern kingdom. Remember last week we talked, Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern and uh, the reason there was a divided nation was because of sin. And so Judah is the one in light here. They mistreated Judah. You see, pride had led to an unjustified sense of personal superiority. And when this is the mindset, it will be seen in the mistreatment of others. And thus, Edom's mistreatment of the people of Judah was proof of their pride. It was specific grounds for God's judicial intervention. Now, we read in verse 10 and 12 the particular horror of Edom's actions. Do not gloat over your brother's day. You see it again in verse 12. Or do not gloat over your brother's day. And then in verse 10. Because of the violence to your brother Jacob. In other words, they mistreated their brother. It wasn't just some stranger. This was supposed to be someone they had a close relationship, close ties to. They were to share not only the bond of connection, but the spiritual bond of belonging to the one true God. And of all the people to attack, they attacked their brothers. It's interesting, Deuteronomy 23.7 says to the Israelites, you shall not detest an Edomite. But the obligation was to be the other way around as well. A brother is one who's to be loved, devoted to one another. But pride stops this. And mark this, pride will always ruin relationships. And if we break down Edomites' mistreatment, 
we find some very specific accusations of crimes. And the progression of these crimes is detailed in these verses. First, Edom stood by while Jerusalem was invaded, verse 11. Second, she rejoiced over the captivity of the sons of Judah. Third, Edom actively participated in the sacking of the city, verse 13. And finally, she helped set up roadblocks to prevent the escape of the Jewish people, verse 14. You see, there's an increasing intensity we read about in Edom's activity, in their hostility. There was indifference, which led to an improper mindset to hostile actions, followed by the completion of the hostility. They even cut down fugitives. That was the degree of their hostility. They showed no pity. Not even the helpless refugees. They cut them down. Reminds me of Proverbs 30, verse 11 through 13. There's a kind of man who curses his father and does not bless his mother. There's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. There is a kind, oh, how lofty are his eyes, and his eyelids are raised in arrogance. That was the Edomites. If that's not bad enough, that they had attacked their brothers, verse 13, God says, do not enter the gate of my people. You see, now they had a problem with God. God says, now you're messing with my people. Now we got a real problem. And so the Edomites, while their actions may have seemingly been against Judah, and they were, ultimately they were against God, and God wanted them to know outright, you're messing with me. Now we got a problem. And boy, did they ever. Because God now intervened. Inter- uh, we have intervention by God. And we see it right away in verse 2 where he says, I will make you small. Verse 4, I will bring you down. You see, God's intervening. And for the Edomites, the day of the Lord will mean receiving some sort of treatment that they gave Judah. There'd be divine justice. You see, they could defend against the enemy, but they couldn't defend themselves against God. They may have put their nest up high and seemed impregnable by the enemy, but God wasn't intimidated the least bit. Now they'd have to face God. An enemy that they would never defeat. Verse 15 talks about this day of the Lord. In verse 19 and 20, even though this prophecy is directly toward Edom, it's not simply a casual comment as the verses go on to talk about the variety of persons and places. You see, Obadiah could expand the list to involve people and places today as those who will face the day of the Lord. And while this day of the Lord would be delayed for most nations, not really for Edom, Edom was judged. For us, there is a day coming when an all-knowing God's going to sort it all out. Be assured of that. But for Edom, Edom's destruction came pretty quick. It began with the Babylonian captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. It continued to the 4th century B.C., when there's invasion of Arabs known as the Nabatians. The 2nd century B.C., the Maccabees brought them under subjection. And listen to this. By 100 A.D., the people of Edom had been lost to history. We don't read anything about them. And that's exactly what Obadiah says would happen. You see it in verse 18d. So that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, How do we know for the Lord has spoken? 
In 100 A.D., that's exactly what happened. One historian writes, If you travel today in the region of Edom, you will find nothing but the most stark wilderness and the most isolated emptiness. It's as if one of the most formidable forsaken spots on earth. Edom. This once prideful people. They're no more. Malachi 1, 3 through 4, and the Malachi prophesied a century later, even if Edom attempted to rebuild its ruins, the Lord would demolish their efforts. For Edom would always be under the wrath of the Lord. Ironically, when the Lord restored Judah to its land, He also gave the people territory of the Edomites as well. For Edom, verse 17 tells us destruction. But for Israel, there will be restoration. You see, in a time of divine judgment, God provides a means of escape for His people. You see, salvation's offered on Mount Zion for the world. Mount Zion, you could think in terms of God's place of rule. It's where the unique presence of a holy God is. And in verse 17 through 21, we have this theme of conquest. As a matter of fact, the whole book ends and the kingdom will, will be the Lord's. That was Jeremiah's testimony when he referred to God as the living God, eternal King. Psalm 47, He's the great King over all the earth. And the day is coming where that kingdom will be accomplished universally, acknowledged universally. When every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord, and that day there will be no pride as every knee bows. And we can't leave Obadiah without learning some truths, two of them, because we must respond. If we read and study this and see this is only Edom, this is only Obadiah from a long time ago we're going to miss. God left it in His Word for a reason. There's two things I hope will come out of here with, and the first one you're not going to like. You and I need to come to grips with our pride. You see, God hates it. Proverbs, that's not my idea. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. He hates your pride. And he hates mine. The whole destruction of Edom began with their pride. It's time for you and I to come to grips that we're not self-sufficient. There are going to be many graduation talks where they're going to talk about being the captain of your own soul. That's pride. We're not captain of our own soul. We're not self-made. We need God. And you don't know better than God. David declared this. He says, riches and honor come from you alone. You rule everything, God. Power and might are in your hand, and it's at your discretion that people are made great and given strength. 1 Chronicles 29.2 You and I need to come to grips with our pride. He's in control. And I recommend and strongly encourage you surrender and bow to that. Now. It'll save you a lot of heartache down the road. There's a second lesson here. Come to the Lord God for victory. You see, real safety and security are found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, the whole, probably, essence of pride, it says, I can earn my way to God. I can be good enough. According to Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men to die once. After that comes judgment. Be assured, everyone will face judgment. But the promise of the gospel is when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word 
and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life, he will not come into judgment, but will pass from death to life. That's good news if you're in Christ. Bad news if you're not. Learn the lesson from the Edomites. If you try to look in the face of God and say, I don't need you, one day you will bow, and you will confess Him as Lord, but it will be too late. Take a lesson from Obadiah. Bow to Him today. For salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. It's not your strength. It's not your associations. It's not your wisdom. You and I need to admit, we can't earn our way to God. We can't earn our way to heaven. It's what the psalmist acknowledged. He said, Israel did not conquer the land with their swords. It was not their own strength that gave them victory. It was by your mighty power, God, that they succeeded. It was because you favored them. And you smiled on them. I I would have stamped over those verses grace. It's about grace. We've talked a lot about that, haven't we? If you've never come to Christ, you can come to the cross. You can confess your need for a Savior. Confess your sin. And only there will you find victory. So you and I need to come to grips with our pride. We might need to repent this morning and confess, confess that before God. Or you might need to come to Jesus Christ for salvation. You see, Edom never responded. Don't be like Edom. The day will come we face God. And only in Christ can you and I find forgiveness and deliverance. And this morning, if you find yourself saying, you know, I've never come to Christ, please come see me after the service. I want to I talk with you a little more. There's nothing wrong with that. I've had people, when, before I came to Christ, who sat down and explained stuff to me and talked with me. I, I'm eternally grateful. So come see me. I'd love to spend some time and talk with you more on this. It's too important to set aside. So let's come to grips with our pride. And let's come to Jesus Christ for salvation. Let's pray. Lord, it seems as I read through Obadiah this week and even this morning, it in a good way, it almost seems like this prophet came with his guns loaded. <laughs> that he shot truth and he shot it straight. Man, Lord, I confess my pride. Embarrassed to think how many times I've tried to go it alone or trusted in what I thought would be a good equation to my life. I might not be alone, Lord. How often do we take you out of the equation of our life? We've trusted in our own wisdom. We've trusted maybe in our associations. You see, maybe we grew up in Elam, or maybe we have Christian parents. We've trusted in those associations, but not you, personally. Maybe, Lord, we've set our, our life up so neat, so ordered, bank accounts padded, and yet, God, you remind us, you didn't do this. Lord, we need to confess it's all by your hands. It's all grace. We're humbled by that. It's humbling to admit, God, that we got nothing we can bring before you. That we need you. And we need you desperately. And I specifically pray, God, as well, for those this morning who come in here who don't know you as Savior, who right now are realizing they're they're empty. They're bankrupt before you. 
This morning, maybe for the first time, they recognize they need you as Savior. I pray for them. I pray you'd meet them in that place. I pray you'd meet them even right now in their prayers, in their tears. God, in all of our cases, humble us under the mighty hand of God so you would be exalted and you would be honored so that with one heart and mouth, Elam may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.